Hey everyone, welcome to That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to Explain Manga, our heated adventures over analyzing manga we find interesting, otherwise known as the Over Manga Cast. This week we took another look at Platinum End by Tsugumi Oba and illustrated by Takeshi Obata. We read chapters 15 to 27, the second half of the Metropolitan arc. It's gonna be a long ride, so warm up your wings and be ready for anything. Ah, uh, indeed. No answer from Madam, considering that an affirmative. Oh, I sorry, I thought we were beginning. <laughs> Verbal consent is I'm, important. I'm ready to begin now. So we can start <laughs> whenever you're ready, Sam. Hello, everyone. I'm ready when you are. The... <laughs> God, shut up! <laughs> Welcome back to the Overmonkey Cast, <laughs> folks. As always, here at the top of the show, we like to talk about what our experience with the uh, property that we read this week is. Uh, for me, normally on these revisits, I don't have much to say. For Platinum End, I have a bit more. That's namely because uh, I uh, subscribe to Mother's Basement on YouTube, so I saw his like hour-long video essay on Platinum End, which covered a lot of the plot. It did color my expectations a little bit, but I still feel like having read this section... Jeff did a pretty good job of being vague enough that I was still surprised. Shout out to Jeff. Shout out to Jeff. So, Jay, how about you? Uh, what's your experience with Platinum End since last time? Sure. So, um, the answer is none. I know there was an anime, but I have staved off, you know, actually diving headfirst into that. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, how about you? Uh, nothing for me. I, I was too blown away with what we read last time that I could not ruin it by, like, watching something and not getting it from the direct source of whatever it is we just read. Excellent. And Jacob? Same, same as Matt, I guess. I will freely admit this. I have an incredibly bad habit of things that I like. I will be scared. They will disappoint me. And uh, having heard things about Platinum End, it's not helped that anxiety. So I've avoided it, which I need to oh, not look. do that. I'm Jacob, and I let nerds on the internet ruin things for me. I do, and I hate myself <laughs> for it. Uh, don't worry, Jake. I'm the same. We can, we can be pathetic together. I know. <laughs> But yeah, hey, this is Platinum End. It's full of pathetic people, really. So uh, we're in good oh, company. God, and how? <laughs> we pick up where we left off, of course, with our favorite character from last time, uh, Cancer Dad, <laughs> Mukaido. We do actually know his name. <laughs> uh, his family has been kidnapped by uh, Hajime, the extremely ugly guy who got a lot of plastic surgery. Like some kind of weird mask thing going on. Yeah, I I, I remember being very um, off put by Hajime in the last episode, and that hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, I remember your reaction to Hajime. <laughs> but uh, Hajime has got Mukaido's pregnant wife and his uh, young daughter both trapped inside of a house of mirrors in a carnival and, and i gotta say i really feel like this just kind of sets the tone <laughs> for this reading <laughs> i, I kind of feel like i'm damning with faint praise when i say this but for this particular reading segment i felt like it was very breezy 
and I don't think that that is what Oba-sensei intended. Yeah, it felt like it was very much, I don't know, it felt, I don't know if I said this in the first part that we read, but it was very much part of an action sequence where it just kind of flowed very well. So yeah, it feels yeah. like, I don't know how to summarize it more than there, it wasn't choppy, there wasn't that much of a story dialogue that needed to play out rather than, you know, going to chapter to chapter to kind of. So I, I think I can summarize it a little. It feels like it's a really cool action scene that's written with, it feels like the intent was to be very cerebral and the characters are referring to the strategies as if it's like very deep and complicated, but how it's like paneled and framed, you're hearing all this like techno babble shot at you and then you get these cool action scenes that take up an entire thing and it's just like i'm i'm sure there's strategy here but like it's it's what we've been seeing so far so it's like cool it's chime in because this is actually also something i wanted to talk about uh was gonna save it for later but since this is what we're talking about um my sort of reaction to all of this is the thing that stood out to me most about platinum end last time was how real some of the that the main characters uh, go through was. And, you know, it really affected me as intended and it really stuck with me. That was my favorite part. And there, I kept waiting for something like that to happen in this section. And at some point I just had to accept that, no, this is wacky superhero nonsense. This is, this is the wave of ham and we're not going to be getting pretty much anything else. And that was largely true. It's so Sentai. Very Sentai. It's very... I think one of the big things, and, and, and this I, sort of owes to the thing that Matt mentioned with it, like, it's like, here's all this deep strategy, but it doesn't feel that weighty. It mm. keeps pretending it is way too mature and way too adult to be Sentai, but it does it in such a immature and puerile way. I enjoyed it just fine. But there is an air of lack of intention to it where I enjoyed it for the wave of ham that it was, but I think it was trying to be serious and yeah. that's not a good sign. I I don't know. I don't know if it is trying to be serious. I, I think it's the person who is being like a giant ham ball is purposefully being like, I am the villain of a Sentai series kind of thing. I am the hero who is the villain kind of deal. Mm. And I think that's he's true. playing into that. And then I think we get to a point where that even kind of makes sense, but we'll talk about that when we actually dive into it. Yeah. I do want to make it clear. I did, despite my tone, I did not want to make um, it's very Sentai sound like an insult. Well, yeah, because I mean, when Sentai is what you're going for, it can be one of the greatest things. There's a reason why yeah. it's so popular. And very much so, this was, this was all of the funnest parts of our previous reading. It, mm -hmm. It's not the part I enjoyed Platinum End the most for, but it is a part of Platinum End I very much enjoy. So it's sort of a color your expectations sort of things. Like once you accept that this is this is going to be the Sentai, this is going to be the wacky stuff. It's it's mm -hmm. really quick and easy to get into and fun for it. And to be fair, we did divide an arc in half. That is also true. This is this is the yeah, this is the action climax of everything that had been built up in the section that we did. Uh, so that's where we find ourselves in the opening of this section with Cancer Dad's family being kidnapped and stuck in the uh, House of Mirrors. And, <laughs> you know, consummate consummate hero that he is. He immediately throws himself face first into the trap. 
without a care. I love you, Mikaido, but goddamn, man. I mean, they knew it was a trap, though. Like, they had that, like, crap. This is obviously mm-hmm. some kind of trap. He just doesn't care, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that is one of my favorite ways of, like, um, dealing... That's one of my favorite ways of, like, villains dealing with paragons. And there's a lot of good stuff with that, which we'll get to. But it's like, I know exactly how you're going to act. I'm going to set this in a way that you know you're being an idiot, but I'm going to make you do it anyway. And that's what's funny. I mean, that is Canada this entire time, like start to finish. And this is actually one of the most clever elements of it, even to the point where it starts getting unbelievable and you notice that he's acting weird and the characters notice and point out that he's acting weird, which ends up being a plot point much later. But like, he he absolutely, he's Syndrome from The Incredibles, you know? It's very much in that vein. You caught me monologuing! <laughs> I'm honestly surprised you didn't say that. We'll get into it later. There there are certain elements of it that mm-hmm. I think is is trying to take it a little itself a little bit more seriously than it has any business, but that's oh. a little later. Oh, yeah, we're, can we... Just from my own understanding, um, the point of the House of Mirrors was so that they can have a hundred percent vision on them at all times with like the camera setup. That was that was why the House of Mirrors was crucial. They can see them at all times, and because they're one-way mirrors, you can't see out, and you have to see the thing you're shooting at with the arrows for them to work. It puts our heroes in a mm-hmm. panopticon. This section did a lot to make me question how the wings work. <laughs> I think the wings might have you travel at the speed of light by literally turning you into light and light bounces off mirrors so that's why the house of mirrors was a trap Ooh. well no their 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 bodies can't go through solid objects correct is the thing that, that makes more sense well there there's the aspect of why don't they just break the mirrors from the inside like but it's a building designed to stand so the use of the uh the katana and some bullets to break the <laughs> mirrors and it's like they're, they're mirrors like you could just kick them but <laughs> we don't know they could be bulletproof glass yeah it, it really it really is the situation where it's like they could be bulletproof glass i have no earthly idea why they ever would be it's a carnival attraction but okay so- um, I can think of a reason for safety reasons. Seriously, you don't want little kids to accidentally chip a mirror or break a mirror and then lawsuit. I'm I'm just saying, with some of the nonsense we see, Metropolitan Man, Paul, I could believe oh he rebuilt the entire house yes. of mirrors. He is one hundred percent a huge edge lord. It's oh yeah, no, it's a hundred percent the situation where if you think about this logically, then it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. If you think about this logically, you're not engaging with it at its own level. So maybe don't do that. I just can't help but notice these things. <laughs> I I this this is a case where I enjoy laughing with the absurdity though. This is um some other thing I noticed uh during this section. It's not really plot relevant, so I'm not really going that out of order. When we cut to Canada from his, like, viewing platform, the phone he's talking on is a hologram two inches from his hand. Is, yes. is that the technology of this world, or...? No, this is the technology of him. Like, he in himself is the conglomerate he... of, all, yes. of all, like, manga supervision villain edgelords. That is he, him. He, he, is, said... he, is, he is every Code Geass... Gundam. Seto Kaiba. Seto Kaiba. Yeah. He's all of those villains just smashed into one, and that includes the tech. Yeah. And 
and he does get compared to Tony Stark at one point. So oh, I mean, God, we'll get through the that. rules. I have money. Is that not a theme? Yeah. <laughs> I could see him saying that. <laughs> I could see him saying that in universe, unironically, no abridged series necessary. The situation that we currently find ourselves in. Mukaido, Cancer Dad, throws himself into the trap because, of course, he does as his family and immediately gets stuck in the House of Mirrors. Mirai, being the f***ing idiot that he is, throws himself in right after Mukaido, and now both of them are trapped. And so we find ourselves in a stalemate. Our heroes are stuck in the House of Mirrors. Hajime is up there waiting to slice him with a sword or call Metropolitan Man. Or both. Metropolitan Man is taking a nap, and uh, Saki doesn't have wings, so she doesn't count. Can't really participate. Also, also um, what has happened is Mirai and Makaido have um, grabbed the wife and daughter and are now flying at the speed of light because they are trying to, they are giving the illusion that they found a way out by being invisible because the only people who can detect them is their own respective angels. And uh, Metropolitan Man is very cautious and knows they are probably trapped in there, but can, is, is also 100% willing to wait them out to be certain rather than... He's the one who notices that their angels haven't left yet. That probably means they're still in there. But could also be their angels tricking him, which is a non-zero chance is why he's like, just wait them out. They'll starve. Like, the wings may be magic, but you have to be physically moving, and eventually you'll exhaust yourself. Uh, especially, especially Mukaido, because as we have called him Cancer Dad, he is wrestling with stage four cancer right now. Without his meds. I, I don't think the wings, I, I don't think the wings actually require any physical stamina on your end. I think the thing with Mukaido is he hasn't been taking his medicine because they end up flying around for about two days. So he's missed dosages of the things but, keeping him alive. The pro the problem is also rest, because yes, Mirai isn't being worn out by flying. He's also been awake for 48 hours. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to say, I thought Mirai mentioned that he was only going to last so long as well, but... Uh, Mukato yeah. has, a, has a shorter stamina bar, so to say. M meanwhile, but... the, that child didn't eat or drink water for two days, but we're not going to... Also, the <laughs> pregnant wife didn't eat or drink water for two days but i guess we're just not acknowledging that happened <laughs> we're not talking about that that's not important i'm just saying like also the fact that none of them got nauseous or anything they're flying around like crazy i mean what is the inertia going on in that I, like I, nobody I had to pee i promise this is gonna be the only dab i take like this during our recording but um like many plights of women in this they were completely ignored uh <laughs> <laughs> our reading this time this entire time saki has been very distraught because uh, she's been hanging out at a rooftop mansion base that I forgot about until this reading, and it's still oh, funny. It's, it's not a mansion, it's a cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> rooftop cathedral base. <laughs> she's been hanging out there because, again, uh, she only has a second class angel, so she only has arrows. Yeah, she wants to participate, she wants to go join the rest of the boys. She wants to get in there. She wants to carry her weight for the team. And Revel is trying to, like, jam memory crystals into his brain or something to make this happen. He's trying really He wants to be the best he can be. Mm. He doesn't like disappointing her. He's not a failure. And a I, gotta get, I gotta get on my soapbox for a hot second. Because 
on the one hand, this is exactly my trash. Character cares deeply for another character, expresses a deep felt emotion for it, is rewarded for deep felt emotion. Revel cares for Saki, so he cries because he can't become more powerful for her. God recognizes this, gives Revel the first rank uh, epithet of Angel of Emotion. Saki has wings now. Glorious, beautiful, I love it. This is supposed to be a death game manga. The sort of thing of like, you know all of the like factors and how they can collide with one another. And the fact that you didn't figure it out before the characters did just means that the author is smarter than you. That's ostensibly what this is supposed to be. Revel literally deus ex machina's the winning solution to the mirror room puzzle. Yes. By crying. Yes. Oh, no, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I Again, I love it because it's exactly my flavor of, like, shonen bullshit. But I hate it because it goes against everything else. I, I don't think it does. I, I think they did what they did to set up the fact that angels can transcend to different levels. That's fine. So the lower rank ones have the potential to move up. And what Revel's problem was, he thought how he would go up is by doing what someone else did and he exhausted himself beyond what an angel would normally do because the rest of them are super lazy and then he starts crying and he's like what the fuck are these tears and then god comes by and god's like what the fuck are those tears Shit, that's cool you're at the next level now and everyone is just like wait no what the hell happened but no one's surprised because it's like well you know that is super weird and he worked really hard the thing he was working really hard on was not what was ever going to get him up because he is not the angel of knowledge. So like, yeah, they kind of I, already. I don't want to say like they have pre-designated like epithets. He just like we don't have a billion angels of knowledge, as Matt said. We don't have a billion angels of strength, a billion angels angels of whatever. You yeah. have to find something that is unique to you. And there like, is no the thing... one size fits all kind of path. Yeah, and I I think they. They did their work in setting up the training arc, going like, hey, Revel's not going to do anything, and... Crap, I've forgotten girl's name. <laughs> Saki. 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 Uh, so, so she's not going to be involved because she can't fly, and Revel is currently doing training arc nonsense to unlock that. I, I feel like that was earned. I'm mostly okay with it, but I can totally understand why where Sam's problem with it is coming from, because especially with the fact that they set it up like Mirai has a plan besides just being invisible in the mirror trap, at which point Platinum End proceeds to go, nope, there is no plan. We're just going to be here until something happens, which, like, yeah, that, it's, that's the it's, big a, thing. it's a matter well, no. of the framing. And, and here's the thing about that. It is very similar to the issue that the characters tend to have with the red arrows. It's very Platinum End because nothing about this situation means it needs to be a death game. The death game aspect of it is a complete artifice built onto it by the force of Canada as a character. So it is absolutely framed to prime you to think that way, but nothing about the series itself actually needs for that to happen. So I like it and I feel it is earned from a character perspective, but I could understand why someone might have a problem with that because... It's a weird roundabout way to get there. I'm going to be honest. I think what Mirai's plan was, was by time for, because I think he knew Saki would do something. That's 
seems like his character. Of... He's opti optimistic enough to assume that something will happen if they just hold out long enough. Yeah. And what he knew is the, what he did kept someone alive for like a few days more. And that's all he was making choices on is what keeps everyone alive the longest. Yeah. I, again, I want to say taken holistically, this is my favorite kind of storytelling. I just feel like taken with the rest of this manga, it doesn't work. But that's just my impression. I think it's the nature of the framing that's giving you that idea. And I don't totally yeah. disagree. And in all honesty, that 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 aspect of it is entirely why I didn't put Platinum End on my personal best of list uh, at the end of last year. Because that sort of thing is not necessarily a flaw per se, but it's something I have to keep in mind and it's almost distracting to me. I don't know. It's 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 a feature, not a bug, so I can't really call it a flaw, but I get why you have a problem with it, even though I I I think it's fine. As we've alluded to, Saki does gain her wings because Revel becomes the angel of emotion. And so she flies into the scene, you know. Uh, throws a rock at this stable state of affairs. Do we also get revealed right here that Revel gained the superpower to know any human's emotion? Yeah, pretty much. Not, not exactly here, but it does come up a little later. It's sort of mentioned in passing here and then explained in detail later. Because he... <laughs> More about the parameters of his power of understanding... I think it's just understanding, like, all the angels understand emotions and, you know, angry, happy, sad, and all that. I mean, they identify as, like, the angel of greed, but... I guess they understand more the nuances and the depths of the human emotion. He gains a kind of weird genius Loki of if a human feels something, he knows it. Which means he would be a great counselor and or potentially... Yeah, I'm not uh -huh. going to say that. <laughs> he can only Gas be a counselor. Gaslighter. Gas no, I was right. gaslighter, counselor, or politician. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of Saki throwing a rock into this pond, uh, she shows up, pegs Hajime with a red arrow, and yeah, again, one of my favorite and least favorite things simultaneously happens. <laughs> uh, the, the 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 character turn for Hajime. Uh... Yeah. I gotta say, okay, Oba Sensei. I'm I look. I've also played Metal Gear Solid Five. I know that quiet breathes through her skin. That's not a justification. <laughs> you can't, you can't have a man look at Saki's outfit and start coming up with all these romanticized justifications. <laughs> Especially because we talked about why that's not okay for Mikado to do that last episode. He's also under the effects of a love arrow. He's, so he is, he is under the effects of a love arrow. This is true. So, because he's being literally mind-controlled, it's a little less creepy than last time. No, he's not no. being literally mind-controlled. That's the entire point of Platinum End, Sam. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean by that, though. The, the point being, uh, Hajime understands love for the first time in his miserable existence, and it transforms him. Super sad. I, kind of beautiful way. I love yeah. 
I it's it's literally like five full pa- <laughs> dump t- uh, two panel spreads of understanding the birth of creation and why being alive is worth it because I was able to feel this love now. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. Was, yeah. It, it was an it was a, a moment there. It's pretty good. I. This is a this is one this is one also where I I want to embrace it more than I do reflexively cuz like intellectually I love it. The thing that keeps getting me about Platinum End is I don't know that it with how hammy it is, it's trying to take this idea seriously. On the one hand it executes it well, but just with how ridiculous it gets, it doesn't feel appropriate for the kind of you know wacky sentai story it's trying to be. I guess that's always been sort of like the hesitation for Platinum End because like it's it's really well done. It's really cool. I love the idea that this person never, you know, I mean, like he he's been attracted to people before, but he has never understood love and understanding love gives him a reason to care about life. That's really cool. He's also a giga caricature wackadoodle character that this the story made a point of making me not take seriously up to this point <laughs> so i mean i i think that's a running theme of platinum end though is it mm. takes people with like very realistic like personalities and then cranks them up to 11 like mirai is a pacifist to an insane degree yeah like Makaido is i'm dying so i need to do one last thing for my family to an insane degree like it I think it's just a general hamminess about all personalities. Like, I, I think that's just the tone of the series. Like, I think... Fair. I don't, I don't think it's treating it seriously. I think it's creating an environment where these emotions are just very much on display. Because mm-hmm. they have to be, or else, you know, the layman isn't going to be, you know, a god candidate. I mean, to a large extent, that's why, that's why I'm always like, I want to like this more than I do, but I don't think I really appreciate that method. I guess is what the issue is. It, it, it's hard because I don't want to be disparaging of it because it, it worked. Like I I understood entirely what it was going for and it's a really cool idea and, and everything. It's just, I don't know. There's a level of dissonance to it that it's not even that I don't enjoy. It keeps bugging me and taking me out of it. And that's that's ultimately been my one issue with uh, Platinum End. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe um, for me, it's just I feel like a series should stay in its lane, which is not a rule. It's a personal preference. So, uh-huh. honestly, Jacob, I am with you. <laughs> That's what makes me laugh when I say. So, how about we talk about this uh, this manga going outside of the realistic with the with the katana breaking the House of Mirrors? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, Matt. Did you have something to say before then? I did overwrite you a little bit. No, it's fine. We could talk about that. I think I was okay. laughing at you. <laughs> you know what? I, I, you know what? Yeah, that sounds about right. So, Hajime, consumed by the overwhelming power of love, understands that uh, his precious cat ear girl is uh, trying to save someone precious to her. And so, driven by this fact, he takes his sword and starts carving at the roof of the funhouse. And I'm like, homie, it's <laughs> not how that works. One, one does wonder why uh, nobody just uh, opens the door uh, at this point. 
Well, well, that's because the door is a known point of egress, so of course they're watching it. Yeah, I, I, I think the implication is if they st they can't interact with the physical world and be flying at super speed at the same time. So if they opened the door, they know where they are. They know they're trying to escape. Because what happened is the only reason everyone is still alive is they grabbed them and then went super speed and disappeared so they can't be targeted. If they go out the door, and they can get shot. The wings grant Hajime and Metropolitan the same level of omnipresence it grants our heroes. But the problem with that, the reason why they can't just leave through the door, because it's like there's the instantaneous movement and all, but like, then why is Hajime standing physically there? This this, ha this has problem. This has problems with the mechanics of the wings that we mentioned last time. That it's both simultaneous move, like you're simultaneously in two places at once, and also there's still dodging because the arrows work the same way. The whole reason why they couldn't leave the door was because Hajime was guarding it, and Hajime had to call Metropolitan to show up. So if Hajime is attacking the top, he's on their side. He's announcing he's on their side. So why don't they just leave? Because it's like, yeah, Metropolitan Man could show up immediately. Mm. But they also mentioned multiple times that he's not going to show up unless he has a definitive advantage, which he wouldn't at that point. So it, it's it's one of those ones where like the strategy doesn't really parse if you think about it. I don't know. I, I'm going to be honest i didn't look that into it i was just willing to believe there's probably some they did enough background work that as i was going through the section i'm like eh it's probably trapped somehow like yeah and and, I, and, and that I is how you're supposed to fiction. yeah so it... this isn't a oh this is the uh this is a plot hole plot hole date like no it, i'm just saying if you do think about it it doesn't really make sense and i can't help but notice these things i think there's probably a throwaway line that probably covers that just from what i've read so far they're generally pretty good about using some like it's not always a explanation that makes you feel good but normally they say something and it's just yeah. like okay whatever they at least caught that and there's a reason why but uh, i was too being too distracted by literally the birth of creation from feeling loved yeah. for the first time and realizing that families can love each other? <gasps> yeah, and that's... that's dude. That's, that, that, in all honesty, is the thing. I, I, I don't think they covered that one. But also, it's not important, so I moved on. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, it's Platinum End. Uh, it, don't take the strategy seriously, because it doesn't because, make sense. Because, Jacob, as I'm sure you'll understand... I'm fucking invincible! Yep, now we now we get the minions. Oh boy. <laughs> yep. We get it literally like JRPG bosses. As Sam is alluding, one of them is literally Sun Sundowner from Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. L just straight lifted. <laughs> He's literally just Sundowner. Yes. I, I expected him to say. Kids are cruel, Jack. I am. I am genuinely shocked that he did not make that he did not quote Sundowner at some point because the design is exact. And then uh, we have um, bioweapon we lady, have... who we I believe we I... get her name. I can't remember her name. I, 
I, I can't. I, I, I legitimately Kofi, can't. Kofi I don't Nana. know Sundowner's name either, just to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember any of their names. I think her name starts with an F because she names a thing. Yeah, that I is have a it plot written point. as like Kohinata. This is sort of the thing where when I see Bioweapon Lady, this is part of the reason why, like, that's such a the edgy, this isn't for, for kids, sort of like impotent, take me seriously sort of thing. It takes the sexy nurse thing and then just completely runs it into the wall. Yeah. It's like, I don't it's think like, she's supposed to be sexy. Platinum End. I've played Skullgirls. <laughs> I've gotten my ass beat by Miss Valentine. You don't well, gotta do this. I think they do. <laughs> Sam, they're coming for you right now. <laughs> No, he's caught the virus. He's caught the no. virus. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> there is no hope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, get minions, and this is where this is where it like dials the Sentai vibes up to eighty. Like it's it's a whole thing. There is also the fun bit. We've talked about the two two of the obvious boss characters because there's Sundowner, who's literally just a boss like it's genuinely stunning and then you have another character who's obviously designed to be that idea then you have small child in a tank in a white tank top with a trump mask yeah i i don't know how we went this long without talking about the the character whose whole personality is i am wearing a donald trump mask I, that's sort of the whole thing though because like there is we're not exaggerating it's just el presidente like, like here's the thing about that that is sort of I feel the point of it because there is an element of uncanny valleyness to it all. Like this, one of these things is not like the others. And and like eventually this character will say, the whole being a mini boss thing, I'm leaving. <laughs> and like there is sort of a separation between Metropolyman, his two mini boss minions, and then this third character, which I, I called out uh, Platinum End, where I feel it, it's either fallen short or mentioned things that didn't sit right with me personally. But this is a case where I gotta hand it to Platinum End. I love the way that this character was implemented because the twist is so obvious in retrospect. This character just does not belong here. We'll, we'll get to that twist later. It, it, but it is worth noting that like this character is just so out of place. At the end, it, one of the things that makes the most sense in this nonsense is this character. Uh, I will uh, speed through the fight with Sundowner by doing one more Metal Gear Rising reference. <clears throat> Self-taught. And not half bad, unfortunately. And then arm gets cut off. Yeah, I was about to say the the fight with Sundowner is um, don't bring guns to an angel fight because they can move faster than bullets. Like <laughs> multiple characters in the universe say, man, it's kind of dumb to use guns. We can move faster than bullets. Yeah, but it's uh, annoying. Hajime Nero's his way through and then cuts off Sundowner's arm like he's Jetstream Sam. So here we yeah, are. You have a lot in common, Sam. Jay, you're my friend. Don't compare me to Jetstream Sam ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that hot. <laughs> That's not right. And I am not that depraved. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> uh, Don't be so down on yourself. Oh my. Anyway, back to Platinum Man. <laughs> no. 
but anyway, back to Platinum End. Oh, uh, oh right, that thing. Oh. <laughs> yes, that'll be less depraved. Oh, who are we talking about now? Oh, the nurse. Um, yeah. Uh, this is this is so much less problematic. No, there there is so much fetish pandering to a thing I am not into. This character, it's. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how much of it is fetish pandering and how much of it is like making her even creepier by like putting the sexy up against the spooky. You know, uh, like I, that kind of like uncanny I, valley. I'm on the fence with this one. I thought that that was a thing for people, but I won't judge, so... Oh, I will. <laughs> well, we know like, you for, will. It's like, for them. like, the horror is intensified. It's intense, yeah. Because it's like, it's she's like... definitely supposed to be sexy. And then the, the outfit comes oh. off, and then you're like, oh, God, no, please, no. Welcome, body oh. horror! Woo! Oh, hey, oh, hey, you're into yandere, so name every person you've murdered. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm watching a death game manga. Obviously, I'm into yandere's. Jeez. <laughs> oh, God. Like I said earlier, look, <laughs> Oba Sensei, I've also played Metal Gear Solid 5. I understand the allure of quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Saying, having your busty character say sorry for the outfit i was taking a shower at the time of the call so this is what i stole from the thrift store it doesn't make it better <laughs> i burst out laughing at that. it's very funny but it doesn't make it better uh, i i anyway i'm gonna i'm gonna believe that that was done to be funny <laughs> I have for my own I, sake. I just laugh because I'm just like, oh my gosh, what if like one of us had an emergency and for some reason you had to wear some kind of superhero costume? What would you pick up? I've got you know a what, bathrobe. Guys, <laughs> I, I will just defend this. You know what never happened? She never got a sexy boudoir like chapter cover photo. Yeah. Whereas yeah. other yeah, that is. things we've read would have jumped at the opportunity to do that. That is true too. I am looking at you, Eden Zero. <laughs> Eden Zero knows what it is. <laughs> Eden Zero knows what it is. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, it's sort of sad because the most tactical that this uh, manga gets is actually with this section, with this uh, deeply, un like, intentionally it's, but deeply unpleasant character. It's pretty intense. I, yeah, like, I really enjoyed this. Because it takes, like, Mirai's whole, like, pacifism. Because essentially what she immediately does at the beginning of the fight is pulls off her jumper revealing that her breasts have been hooked up to some kind of bio-fueled thing like surgically so it's 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 very graphic in like yes. a horrifying way um and yes, there is a large yeah and there's a large vial of essentially what she says is like the ultimate pathogen i created in my spare time and i'm like okay and then we hear she was just like a like office clerk at this pharmaceutical company and i'm even more like she okay. was a researcher so very likely either she was not a full-out like doctor or whatever but definitely has some exposure and experience she didn't take the oath so <laughs> she didn't take the oath guys she she created aids with a cocktail of everything that kills you painfully and just kind of mashed it together and said, here's my bioterrorism. And uh, which she refers to it as multiple times. And uh, also, I uh, got to make it airborne or else or else you can't use it as a dead man switch. Yep. 
Yeah, and speaking of Dead Man Switch, she has a Dead Man Switch installed in her heart so that when it stops beating, it will also release the virus. And I'm just wondering... There's a zoom in uh -huh. on the actual heart. Who the hell installed that? Also, you don't need it installed in the heart! <laughs> That's not how Dead Man Switches work! Like, come on! Like, I guess if you're really paranoid about someone... Oh, you know, if you're paranoid about someone who can move at the speed of light and can disconnect. Okay, fair. In this very weird... But it's implied she had this installed before the death game. Or if you're a nihilist who just doesn't care and wants to go for the most theatric thing possible. Yeah, I mean, this was this is very much her personality, like, before this whole death game started. It was just kind of like, dare I say, she was a ticking time bomb. Also, these characters have been red-arrowed by Metropolitan, and I now realize he has super god technology. Everything they have makes sense. I rescind all criticism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, this, this is really the perfect manga, Did, is what he's trying we, to say. We, we, forgot, <laughs> we forgot to mention earlier, when Metropolitan goes to take a nap, he does not do so the normal way. He strips down completely naked and, and then goes into a, like, sex pod. Where he then has erotic dreams about his sister. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> that reaction that you had to her her heart monitor dead man switch is a lot of the stuff that I was saying before. Platinum End doesn't care about that stuff. You're supposed to look past it. Sometimes I notice these things and they irritate me, which is why I can't embrace Platinum End fully. But yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I'm strapped in. I was ready for this ride. <laughs> Once you understand the roller coaster you're on, even if you notice the things, you can just blow right by them because that's been my experience with this nonsense. Once you accept the crazy, it makes it so much less painful. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, but I'm not supposed Jay, to. Anyway. I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you were not here, but that is like the recurring theme for a lot of things we have read, as you know. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Turn brain off. Oh, it's so Anyway, Mirai's whole conniption with this is that she is threatening to drop the vial, and if she dies, the vial releases. And she basically says this disease will spread throughout Japan. It may even go international and will kill millions, thousands even. And like with that, Mirai's is like, I, I, well, I guess I have to die because she wants to test out her instantly turn you into sludge solution melty thing it, it, it's it's like she says it's medicine but it essentially just instantly causes your, your immune system to eat away your flesh so it's like eh. and she <laughs> wants to test it on a human being and mirai's just like well i better let her stick me with it because otherwise she's gonna kill thousands of people and as i established earlier the amount of people living is good also did we mention that the three main characters shot each other with heart beams we didn't they shot each other with heart beams, and now, um... Wait, they don't do, They haven't done that yet, have they? No, they, they did that before this, because they have that whole... They do that right they before have, the mini-bosses. Oh, yeah, okay. they have that whole triangle attack moment. Um, uh, Mirai shoots Saki. Saki shoots Cancer Dad. Cancer Dad shoots Mirai. We really get one sentence where it says Mirai's in love with Cancer Dad and then that kind of gets breezed over. The main thing is that Saki is in love with um, Mirai and Cancer Dad is in love with Saki, but he also seems to 
The two guys immediately get over it, and the girl is just like, oh, well, am I still in love? Hmm. And I'm like, yep, yep, Platinum End's doing what Platinum End does. <laughs> we knew she had a thing for him, like, before. We did that in part one. It's like, obviously, she still has a thing for him. No, and, and here's the thing that I will give Platinum End credit for. Saki immediately knows what her emotions are and is very good at differentiating them. It's the other people in her life that don't believe her when she tells them how she actually feels. But exactly. 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 That's, that's more addressed after this whole incident, but... I, I, I will say, after this whole incident, that makes the moments with Mirai and Cancer Dad poignant, and it also makes the moments with Mirai and Saki poignant. But uh, they they have done that so that they can get red-arrowed yeah. by the bosses. It, and so that means that Mirai is now versus Dissolve Lady, Mistral, um, Shigo, um, I, 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 don't, I don't have a pop culture reference for her because she's too many things at once. But yeah, the, 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 whole, the whole section here is uh, basically Mirai uh, walking ever closer to her whilst uh, going over the trolley problem he's in the middle of in his head. Oh, wow, uh, Mirai walking towards people while dealing with the chubby trolley problem. That's the whole reading, Jake. I know. <laughs> I, you're not wrong. I really like this section with him, though. It's so cool because it's him I... internally going like, I am not going to let anyone die. One person dying is a tragedy to me, and I want to avoid that however possible. I will not let a thousand people die. I will not let one person die. And if, like, what has to happen is, like, the worst-case scenario is, like, if I have to die, and that is it, I'm okay with that of how that ends up, but I will fight, like, till the end to make sure that isn't the solution I, I go with. I, I make the trolley problem joke about it, but it is a really well-done, intense scene that, and, you know, in a large in a large way, Mirai is confronting the flaws in his own extremely rigid worldview, and it's a really great character moment for him. And I love the solution he comes up with because it is, it keeps him ideologically consistent. And it's a really, really clever solution to uh, his problem. Very clever. I mean, when, when he does, when he came up with his solution, I was just kind of like, wow, why didn't I think of that? It's, it's a great twist. Uh, the, the thing that he does is, I mean, the entire time, Metropolitan and the, 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 the creepy nurse lady are both saying, haha, there's an easy solution. Or, or they're, they're, I mean, like she has the, the dead man switch, but she's like, if you want to live, you can just shoot me with the white arrow. But I know you would never do that. Even if I didn't have a dead man switch, I don't think you'd do it because you're stupid like that. And they keep taunting him about his unwillingness to use the white arrow. And then yeah. suddenly he summons the white arrow and hits the virus with it. Technically, viruses aren't it's alive. And the excuse that they <laughs> give for why it works is kind of stupid. But yeah. again, that's a really clever solution. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a pass. In this universe, it works. So I have no complaints. But I'm just saying, technically. <laughs> I don't think. I think it's supposed to be a virus, considering she's a bioengineer, to be fair. I, like, it's supposed to be something. They just call it a virus. People, I don't. Well, yeah, yeah, people don't know what viruses are, is the thing. Which is yeah. why I, which is why I totally forgive this, because I'm assuming that this is a, this is a, uh, 
this is a termino terminological blind spot of the author, and I'm not going to hold that against the story because the way that they set it up and pay it off is super well done and super clever. Uh, or, like, the translation is not 100% clear between, like, virus and, like, pathogen, like, you know, something lost in translation. One thing I really liked about this is, like, this is a solution that was, like, solely Mirai's. Because, like, everyone else was just like, well, clearly someone has to die because they had already resigned themselves to this is not ending without blood. There is one death at least required here. Who is it going to be was the question they're answering. Meanwhile, Mirai is like, okay, that virus is going to kill people. Uh, do, do, I don't want to kill anybody. No one wants to die. Um, kill wait, the no, thing. the virus is gone. Kill the thing. Yeah, and I mean, like, this, this is something I love from protagonists like Mirai. Everyone is convinced that there is no uh, situation where bloodshed can be avoided. And then he comes up with a situation where bloodshed can be completely avoided. Now, there there is something that builds into a moment with Metropolitan later that I think uh, actually really enhances this aspect of Mirai's character uh, that we'll get into when we get to the final boss fight uh, of our reading section. But, I, like, I love it when characters just choose not to kill somebody because in all honesty that's the optimal outcome even if the other person's a bad guy <laughs> avoiding killing people is a good thing <laughs> and i really i really liked how clever his solution was nobody was thinking about it from that perspective because like white arrows can only be used to kill people no they instantly kill the things that they hit so you know kill the bioweapon which i honestly did not see coming but uh, then, unfortunately, what happens is Mirai is grabbing, um, I don't know her name, but the, the nurse lady by the arm. Uh, yeah, and, and is everyone's now, just like... Yep, you've got the tiger by the tail. What are you, you going to do now? Because uh, she's not going quietly, if that was your end goal. Uh, <laughs> uh, she, she, at this point, mentions, ah, but I have other stores elsewhere. You didn't. Seriously, think that was like the only vial I had. Like that would be a dumb thing to do, right? Just have one. And she also she also has uh, needle tentacles that she can uh, launch. She has just one huge fetish. Just just that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Just yes. I don't think that's I... a fetish. I don't want it to be. <laughs> Matt, your innocence is welcome, but <laughs> that's a. Very specific thing. <laughs> but I mean, it exists. <laughs> That's a very specific thing. Is something a lot of people said about a lot of fetishes. But we're but fortunately, this is the end for this character. We don't have to consider these ideas for much longer because uh, Mirai uh, is uh, not able to block all of the uh, the syringes in time. Uh, so uh, the melt juice. There, there's something about Hajime being like, I'll be the big damn hero and block them all. And he what? proceeds to no. not block them all. Well, he doesn't specifically say he wants to, like, block them all. Saki has, like, an internal conniption where she's just like, oh, no, he's not going to be able to block. He's not going to do anything. And so she kind of leaps into action, which prompts, his ha which prompts Hajime to follow her because she is his son, like, literally. And then he deliberates and says... Well, if no one's going to have the like the balls to kill anybody, I'll do it because I want to defend the woman I love and everything. And yeah, he ends up just fearing her. I, it's really cool, but it does skip over my favorite. It 
skips over my favorite scene though is when Saki is jumping in front of the white arrow to save Mirai. Yeah. She forgets how the white arrow works as it finds its target. Not it goes through anything to get to it. So it it then goes around her and then Mirai has to deflect it. Hajime then jumps in front of the syringe that is going to stab her, gets his arm stabbed, but then in the process stabs the nurse through the chest. Yep, it's glorious. Yeah, he rams his katana straight through her solar plexus and also therefore her boobs. And God, it's 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 really something as she pleads death, and also it's really something as he melts. They set up the melting people thing. They had to actually show it. Yeah, and unfortunately, or fortunately, she never got to the nurse. Never got to see it because she was dying. Look, I'm I'm just saying whatever she made is amazing because it melted the plastic from his plastic surgery just as well as it melted flesh. Which I don't know how you do that when you create a bioweapon. I think that well, was just acid. I, it, but I mean, plastic right? surgery doesn't necessarily use actual plastics unless he had specific implants, I guess. And even those have, and even those have to be biosoluble to a certain extent, unless they were literally like building concrete in them. Then he got some back alley work done. Series, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I think part of the point of Hachme is that everything he did was very botched. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Hajime melts. And in all honesty, I really, this, this is the part where I'm like, I, I really like the, the concept behind Hajime's character in this uh, reading section. Because like, when um, his spirit is being taken by his angel, uh, who sticks around to see the end of the fight because it's interesting and, you know, I don't care about the rules. I'm going to watch this play out. But like, Hajime has such a contentment on his face. And it like, it really does give the idea that the Red Arrow isn't involved anymore. It wasn't simply that he fell in love with a person. It's that he actually understood love and it genuinely changed his perspective. And I, I really like that. The, the, the subtlety of that is really, like, it's that distinction. Like, the Red Arrows aren't just mind control. They make you love someone. And love can be a really positive and powerful thing. No, no this is the great part of this, because it's the transformative power of love. And the red arrows are supposed to be Cupid's arrows. They're supposed to awake love in your heart. The way that it's described by Nase in part one is that the red arrows are supposed to basically tie the red thread of fate, you know? It's supposed to bring the people who are supposed to love each other together. It's only these stupid humans with their dumbass death games that made it into a mind control power in order to uh, play 5D chess with each other and do dumb shit, right? It's that dissonance that makes it so much fun. Yeah, and mm. the, the problem for Hajime is because of sheer bad luck, he never knew what the love of another human was like. And, you know, you can dissect that all day long, and I won't blame you for doing so. For <laughs> our purposes here, it is a factor of this character's existence. He never knew what the love of another human was like. He was suddenly shot dead in the heart with it. And love is a transformative power that made him embrace the beauty of life, despite the fact that everything up to that point was raw misery. And there's something beautiful about that. I, I really think that Hajime has had the most impactful death 
of the manga so far. And mm -hmm. I say that with full context of what happens at the end of our reading. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which might be a little controversial, but... No, no, I, I agree with that because there's an element of Hajime's entire story in this particular section of reading is more than just the character. It's a statement about the nature of love. And it's a really powerful and and I person. It's a statement I certainly agree with. I I love it for that. It's really well done. This caricature <laughs> tying the red thread of fate is supposed to be love was there the entire time. This just made it real to you. But yeah, Hajime is dead. He slew bio weapon lady in the process. Uh, Sundowner is downer a hand and went to the hospital i guess i i think he dies? i think he's dead i think he dies off panel at some point hajime says hajime says hurry and it might be reattached in reference to the in reference to the severed hand he does say that and i'm pretty sure at some point that metropolitan gets that guy's uh stuff uh god candidate stuff it's not super clear. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, the point being... The point being... We're down to Canada, Metropolitan, and Trump head boy versus our slew of heroes. That being Mirai, Saki, and Mukaido. Metropolitan says, okay, last mini boss, go do mini boss things. At which point Trump head kid just immediately turns on his heel and leaves. <laughs> which is so funny. It's hysterical. I, I definitely have some screenshots of uh, a Trump head character say, saying, no, I don't want to do it, mommy. I'm going home. I'm too scared. <laughs> I think that might have been on purpose. I'm not sure. I guarantee it's, it was. Well, it's hard to tell. I was going to say it's hard to tell with Platinum End. Uh, and, and I mean, like, the... The sort of fun thing is, again, relative to the twist that we're going to find out about this character later, which actually this is the part where they start building up and, uh, you know, more heavily hinting towards that twist. One thing that had been established is if, if someone who has Red Arrowed you says, hey, go kill yourself, they're not going to do that because that's not what the Red Arrows do. So the fact that he runs away at, up to this point, it doesn't it doesn't raise eyebrows because it it falls in line with the way that the rules of the story work and uh uh everyone's saying hey metropolitan like, like they're from their perspective that's like okay we gotta bait this guy into not running away metropolitan man you're a fucking coward if you don't uh uh you're not at an advantage so you're gonna run away right that's what you're gonna do because you're a coward and he's like you know what fine 1v1 me <laughs> to the shock of everybody i will face mirai in single combat because i know his, he is honorable and we'll use it against him. What? Nothing. You'll find out that later part later. <laughs> That's the thing. He basically says that too. <laughs> like out loud. Kandida did declare himself to be the final boss. And now all the mini bosses have been defeated. Despite the fact that I absolutely hate to give Kandida any measure of credit in any way whatsoever. I think since the mini bosses are defeated, it's a good time for a break. Even the big man on campus for these past two arcs we've read uh, for after the break. Indeed. We'll see. So, we'll see how the uh, epic battle concludes on Dragon Ball. We'll also get to find out Kaneda's very 
very relatable and um not completely pitiable backstory yeah <laughs> oh i can't yeah. wait for this <laughs> talk to you soon folks So, last time on Dragon Ball Z, uh, we've defeated the quirky mini boss squad, uh, quirky with uh, gigantic air quotes. And now we have to fight the actual boss. It's like we're actually breathing Dragon Ball. I'm sorry, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. I can't can't say anything because you're not wrong. I think all of these mini bosses would have fit in Dragon Ball. They would have toned yeah, some of them down for content war but i yeah like i think woman with the virus could easily have fought like kid goku i'm yeah. just saying she like gives me like old school cell vibes with the whole like <laughs> yes with the syringe. syringes yeah yeah once you mentioned tone down yeah no those are those are characters that could have fit in dragon ball you're absolutely right <laughs> i won't deny what's true <laughs> The Trump mask that says "fuck off." I'm not doing this fight. <laughs> uh, the, the important factor being that Canada is the last one standing, uh, and so it is now Metropolitan versus Mirai. They decide to face. They decide to face off, and to face off, what else would be the proper mode but to having a, pro a proper duel with this, you know, very... I hate Mirai so much. I know. But, like... like... <laughs> there, there, there's a whole element of uh, Mirai I... refuses to cheat, even though losing the competition doesn't do anything? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, Mirai, okay. he, took a, he took a while to grow on me. I My like of him ebbed and flowed throughout the first reading, the second reading. It, it took a real downturn for me because he was just so much of a headache i i i love mirai <laughs> i know you do he is a headache for me <laughs> to quote abridged future trunks either loosen your moral code or stop hinging the fate of the world on death matches <laughs> oh more death matches more death matches uh, that's the answer to everything my favorite quote about mirai in this section is him versus the fight of canada and he's just like, wait a second, that's not true. And Canada just goes like, we are fighting to the death right now. You really think I'd be above lying to you? <laughs> he says loud. I loved Mirai in this section. I loved Mirai in this section almost entirely because of one moment that uh, comes later. But there is that element of like, my dude, you made these rules and you don't want to break your own rules. And Canada keeps needling you about that. But like... You don't lose anything for not winning the duel. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there is the element of uh, he's sort of he's sort of pigeonholing himself into trying to achieve a completely pointless personal victory when people's lives are on the line. I know that you know the pain of me using Dream Scale Dragonite when we're playing Pokemon, right? Multi scale, uh, <laughs> multi scale, multi scale. That's what it's called. 
And uh. sometimes I use multi-scale Dragonite, and I think, this is bull. Why would I do this? This is so powerful. It's not fun. And I have a legitimate moral, like, quandary of, I should just use something less powerful. And that's, I feel like that's what Platinum End is going for. But I'm talking about Pokemon. Come on. <laughs> not a life or death situation. Meanwhile, Platinum End is talking about deciding God. A bit more serious. Yeah. More contextualizes and makes more ridiculous the situation. I'm not going to lie. This is this is one of those cases where, like, if you, if you really parse the strategy, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And oh. most of this section is really more uh, philosophical back and forth between the between the two main belligerents. I'll, de I'll defend the Mirai's point of view here, though, is um because what he had been told by Revel going into this fight was that if um, Metropolitan Man feels like he's disadvantaged at all, he will dip and run. So what he's thinking is like, if I keep this as a fair fight, he won't just run away because we need him here to like fight. And if like, I know he might even cheat, but at least the pretense of a fair fight is keeping him fighting me and then maybe my teammate can take him out. They need to yeah. do something. They can't just let him go up. Obviously, Metropolitan Man ends up staying long after that should have stopped working, but they don't seem to question it because that's all they have going for them right now. Like, their end goal was getting the hostages out, which, by the way, I think they've flown to safety by this point. Yeah, but... um, yeah Saki, Saki flies the two hostages back to the but... back to the cathedral hidden base. Because mm -hmm. they and have Mika that. You know, it's basically like, hey, I'm probably going to die today. I'm feeling like I'm at the end of my rope here. I want to take Metropolitan Man with me. And Mirai's just like, well, we shouldn't kill anybody. And Mikaido's just like, I am going to die. Let me have my final wish. He's like, I am deeply in love with you right now. I'm still kind of processing that, but we'll we'll go from there. Uh, <laughs> and like, I, I think that's why Mirai's like, hey, no, 1v1... You're probably going to cheat, so you'll probably stay here and fight. That's fine. Because at least that's a chance for me to win, as opposed to you running off and doing another death game. Like, yeah, I, I, I suppose that makes sense. Another important plot point is that suddenly uh, the, uh, the battle between these two is um, suddenly being broadcast to everyone in Japan, I think. It, it 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 does that weird thing that uh manga and anime tends to do is just pretend that japan is the entire world but it's it, it's being broadcast live except it pixelates uh the background so they can't figure out where they actually are so that makes this entire situation rather unreal except for the part where in this you know uh high noon standoff between mirai and canada they finally, finally get Canada to just admit what he's about. And that is incestuous pedophilia. Of course not. It's just some good old, good old sibling love. <laughs> some good old sibling love entirely built around the idea of only the beautiful can beget more beautiful. Therefore, yeah. my beautiful family begot the most beautiful girl being my younger sister. So... Yep. <laughs> He very poignantly stops talking at that point. <laughs> you have no other option, sir. Uh, he 
he honestly flip-flops between whether that's his end goal or if his end goal is my sister is most pristine because she has not been touched by the filth of poverty that exists in this world. Yeah, he flip-flops, and I think he is of the mind that he would only approve if she met someone who would be adequate to him. And since he believes he's above everybody, there is no such person. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's made that leap yet. Is what I'm trying to say. I don't think he's like having. Yeah. Let Let's go into his backstory because I think the ending of it really ties together my view on this whole thing. But like, oh oh my god, I I loved this backstory section. There was okay. So, so, uh, well, I I was gonna say it's mostly exactly what you expect. This is done intentionally, and this isn't a problem. But they don't make it ultra clear how much of this he's saying out loud. But he is basically announcing this to the world. Um, like via his motivations, like the, the the talking about like only the beautiful can beget the beautiful. He mentions uh, the thing that his friend said about uh, I uh, my friend told me he'd want all the ugly women to go away, so that's what I'll do. Well, um, that, that, he that's during his like villain monologue that's separate from this flashback, but yeah, uh, like they 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 like he he goes like from the villain monologue to the flashback back to the villain monologue in the backstory like we basically get to meet his sister she is sweet little babby exactly like you expect uh and you know he's the sort of like uh you know overprotective it's very it's very expected and yeah and he goes off on this little tangent about how like he he really loves tearing into hajime in this because he's just like hajime was literally what you say like the kind-hearted ruffian is of this person who grew up in terrible situations and was ugly and had a pure heart besides that and he's just like that's garbage that's just something the weak tell themselves because they don't acknowledge man it sure is easier to be a good person when you never have to face hardship and have the opportunities to be virtuous and have that like paid for and nurtured and grown like being a good person is a skill that when you don't have to worry about feeding yourself is real easy to nurture and he's just like yeah that makes wealthy people inherently better because they have never had to waste time fending off hardship they can just focus on being excellent see it's almost like being born with higher stats makes you better but that doesn't mean that you earned them well, yeah, and I mean, like, Correct, they're, they're... but the thing is, earning is beneath them. It shouldn't be if they're human. <laughs> All right, Mirai, Mir- calm down. Calm down. Here's okay. the thing. <laughs> calm down. I think Kaida legitimately does not care that he did not earn what he has. I think he's perfectly fine saying, I think he's perfectly fine going, I lucked into this situation and those who have lucked into a similar situation just better by nature of their birth are more likely to be good people and only the good like excellent top tier people are worth anything congratulations on understanding a self-selecting bias canada but 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 that's the thing he has a self-selecting bias but he he acknowledges that he just doesn't care. And I mean, yeah. like, there, there is an element there, like, the element that I couldn't help but notice is, like, he does actually uh, sort of, like, ships passing in the night sideways note something that is actually true. Uh, you know, wealth is something that makes, uh, you know, like, it, it's a it's a multiplying force. You know, it makes the good better. 
But the thing he missed is it makes the bad worse, and he's like a comical uh, example of that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And then another thing that really sticked out, like stuck out to me, it was the frustrating. He's like, well, he'll elaborate more on this when his master plan of just creating like a a world of wealthy people, then no one would be wealthy. It would just be the standard. Like I you don't. like the status. You like the status that comes with it. If you completely wipe out a subset of a of a population that is not a certain metric, you stop becoming wealthy. I compared him to Syndrome before. <laughs> we, we, we can talk about the craziness of his speech after this nonsense with his backstory, but because like... because the thing the thing about his backstory that I loved the most is I'm flipping through this, I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I expected, this is what I expected. And I get to the page where, um, like, like it's a whole page where it's setting up and and it ends with his sister saying, a boy said that, uh, confessed his affection for me, and, and it, that's the end of the page. And I'm like, oh, he is yeeting her off of a cliff by the end of this scene. <laughs> I turned the page, and that's exactly what happened. I can't have that. Platinum Man does not make you wait until the end of the chapter. <laughs> he eats her off a tower. Yeah. The most, like, what the f*** is this tower, okay? Yeah. Now, it is literally a, like, domed pagoda outlining that, like, there's a 20-foot cliff into a, like, circle of roses and stairs that, like, I could only envision the only reason you would have this built is so that if your sister ever gave you bad news, you could have her killed by pushing her. Like, that is why this place exists. I mean, I just want to be that wealthy that I just have, like, a pagoda to just yeet people off of. It was so perfect it had to be on purpose. I get to the page that ends with her saying, a, a, a boy confessed his affections for me. And I kind of want to, like, you know, take the opportunity. And he's like, nope! Uh, well, even even before she's saying, you know, I want to pursue the opportunity, I turn the page, and at the end of that page, I see her going over the side. I'm like, yep. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> uh, it was so funny. Yeah, he has some mental justification about, like, I must keep you pure. You're go Why are you afraid of me? You're doing this. And then, like, she falls off, hits her head, and he rushes down to her and goes like oh my god did you and like what i'm expecting is the manga to go oh that's how she died that's why he feels so bad that's why she's in like the mr freeze yeah. comatose room and then she comes back and she's like brother oh i'm and he's and then passes out again it's like oh wait no she's alive she just has really bad brain damage if i just called an ambulance she could be healed but if she died now, she'd be 14 and perfect forever. And I'm just reading like, oh my God, how? How did they double down and make this guy like so much more awful than I assumed? They made him worse. I I, I loved this because it, it, it's one of those ones where they're setting up this scene and like, they're so doubling down on this, aren't they? <laughs> and, and they did. They doubled down in a way I never would have expected. Like she... Came back up to be like, I didn't die from the anime, I kill you, like, moment. Love, like, oh, she fell, hit her head on the stairs. Nope, that was just enough to, like, start the bleeding in the back of her head that she needed medical attention for. And he's just like, you know, I'm just gonna let this problem solve itself. Uh, oh, man, look, a perfect corpse. Well, better freeze her forever. It was in that moment that what he realized 
like I because I, I think what that entire backstory he was flip flopping between like ah yes I'm a good and virtuous person I believe that the wealthy are an inherent elite that just motivate things and you get like little inklings that he's doing this for his own like self greed like he wants things and the main yeah. thing he wants is his sister but also it's because no I want to keep her pure from the untouched world and it's not until he gets to the point where he could have saved her and let her remain like pure and untouched and just continued protecting her the idea that she would remain perfect forever in his eyes he's just like well no i'll just take that then and it's as he's going through the thing where he's frozen her casket and that her like frozen visage of like 14 year old her will be his forever unblemished untarnished is when the angel of greed shows up behind him and is like yep nope you're mine Hello, my apostle. I am so ready for you to spread my ideology across the world. The dictate of greed. This is what you want. Take it. I, I could definitely see your point of view, Matt, now, because I'm thinking we don't know anything about this boy that expressed any interest in her. If he were truly pure and his intention of only like elite can, you know, mingle with elite, then, you know, maybe he could find out this guy might actually be a fellow elite <laughs> but that's not the issue that's not the issue he's the not only me. that's the moment where he realized it didn't matter to him no no the only thing is that it didn't matter how elite this boy was it wasn't him and he's the most supreme being so how could any boy be as elite as him therefore beautiful begetting beautiful but it's not quite Yuki and Kaname here. It's also possibly the the point that he didn't have any... I still have trouble grasping the fact that I don't think he had any sexual feelings toward her. It's definitely being yeah. possessiveness. I don't get mm -hmm. the sexual anything. Yeah, I, I think the, the manga sometimes had panels that implied that. I think the character himself, though, is very much, I want to own this perfect, untouched person. Because yeah, even yeah. even his friend later on references, oh, everyone says you're like a huge womanizer or playboy or whatever. And he's like, no, I just want them to think that. I'm not actually like that into like women. I just want them to think I'm like great and literally like God's gift to the world. Yeah, because like the thing that um, that the uh, angel of greed offers him is just like, hey, you know, she's dead. People who don't die in the death game don't go to heaven is a little thing that's brought up occasionally here we're not gonna go too deep into that um and is uh, uh just like you know the only way you're ever gonna see her again then is if you become god and make her one of your angels which also gets brought up again as the angels start talk like the other angels are talking about like ah yes i remember my past lives it's like that's weird angels talk about their past lives a lot hmm interesting get some lore drops <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that will make perfect sense when it goes into detail further later. Probably will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's more faith in Platinum End than I have, but... Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll... I don't think it needs more explaining. It's clear that, like, the people who... Yeah, I would not fair. be surprised if the, dead, if the dead god candidates are, like, when you... The person who becomes god is like, well, you get to be my angel, you get to be my angel, you get, like, you know... The point being, for the Fed of Canada, is that... They have this standoff of we'll each take turns shooting arrows at each other. And Canada is like, I'm a fighter, so I'll shoot the dead arrow at you, the white arrow. 
And Mira is like, I'm a good boy. I'm going to shoot the red arrow, the love arrow at you. And every time they shoot and miss, miss being dodged or parried, they take a few steps closer to each other. And uh, Mirai makes the the rule that we'd been alluding to, no wings, because uh, Metropolitan is even the one who points out, like, we could just start shooting arrows at each other, but we're never going to hit each other because the wings auto-dodge, so... Again, so. because the power of the wings gets altered, we'll say. I, th I think it's been pretty consistent. It gives you, like, super speed. Yeah. Um, they it, gives you super, it gives you super speed, but does it give you frame by frame of reality? But what it does do, you know, who does have frame by frame of reality is the angels. And they do mention, hey, is it cool if we have our angels watching our back? And that's what is basically like if an arrow came from behind, your angel would be like, hey, super speed now. And then once you super speed, you can react in super speed. And okay. the angels are always super speed like that. I, I think they're pretty clear about how that worked. So what you're saying is it's Balthus' fault that um, Metropolitan Man's end was so agonizing. That tracks with his character. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, he didn't really care, and also he kind of got... There is extenuating circumstances of what exactly happened there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that so, one. So we should get to that, which is, again, like I said, um, they're taking shots and steps towards each other, uh, Mirai and Metropolitan Man. And there's a few shenanigans. Metropolitan Man takes a few cheap shots. Uh, Mirai predicts a few of where his bullets are going to go, so to say. This is where we get kind of going completely off the rails, where his uh, sort of like playing the part of villain monologue flashback, and now he's just like off the rails. I, I, I love, he, he makes a comment of, um, it's like... Uh, Ah, but I should leave a slave class that completely contradicts everything else I said. I love this whole monologue because how it starts off with is Saki prodding him. And then he takes like a second to go. Yeah, no, I'll just do the full speech because I know this is on camera because I'm broadcasting it. And he's just like, I am going to become your god. The first thing I will do when I become god is I will abolish inequality and poverty. And everyone cheered because that sounds really good. Yes, all those who are lesser and poor, I will eliminate them all completely. What? And all the ugly people. What? <laughs> ah, did I mention that the slave class I said I would keep are only people who meet my exacting aesthetic standards? Yeah, so just like... And it's not going to be, you know, the uglies who might be rich or might be like the middle of the rear. No, they're probably going to be like still really hot, just have less money. They're gonna I, be less rich. I loved, I loved how everyone watching this in like Shibuya was horrified at this. Then we cut to the bar where a bunch of salary men are like, "Yeah, yeah finally, the get rid of my wife. <laughs> Take my ugly wife." <laughs> I loved that. Someone, someone, uh, someone watching the broadcast is like, "Yeah, take my wife." God damn it. I mean, to be fair, the people in universe are taking the situation as seriously as we are, so well, it's a mite well, more I mean, important for them, but they don't know that. In universe, they're like, this is some crazy guy monologuing on national TV. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't think they fully even understand the gravity of the situation because, yes, they had the whole roundup at, I believe it was the football stadium or something, Tower. basketball stadium. 
baseball stadium, whatever. It was a baseball but, stadium first and then later on at the tower. But basically people still are, some people are still of the mindset that this is just a huge publicity stunt or something. For the Metropolitan Sentai show, which is a yes. thing that, that Kanada got his suit from. I mean, this entire time, uh, like there's this element of, I wonder what Mirai's clever plan is. And eventually they're they're like at point blank range and uh, Mirai basically admits to himself. I don't even think out loud, just, just, you know, thinking to himself, yeah, I didn't have a plan. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> at least he's consistent. M Mirai has one method of planning. That's avoid someone dying this exact second. <laughs> the, uh, Hopefully something happens. But yeah, when, when we get down to uh, point blank range, um, the thing I really like about this is, um, you know, like, like Mirai's dealing with another trolley problem to some extent. And, like the thing about it is what Kanada's happiness is, is murdering people. Even though he can't bring himself to take, he he also has a really great line when Kanada compares people to cockroaches. He says, uh, "No, I won't kill you because I don't want have uh, something less than a cockroach's death on my conscience. You're so low, you're not worth killing." Um, yeah, that was a good line. That was a huge burn. I I love that too because he's just like, yeah, you say because um, um Canada was just like, you know what I think of all these people? They're like leeches. They just like absorb other they're they're members of the welfare state in case the yeah the oh, straw he gets, man wasn't hard enough here. yeah he he straw man's really hard it is very funny but but they are cockroaches like just leeching off the system of those better than them and he's just like yeah but you know what cockroaches don't do actively hurt people you're doing that so you are worse than a cockroach and i'm like yeah mira i could stand up for your beliefs but yeah, I, I really like the aspect that uh, Mirai accepts that Kanada's happiness is, is killing people. It's one of those cases where, uh, you know, I mentioned hero, I like heroes that will choose not to kill when there's a way to avoid it. And there is an element of, you can only stop Kanada for 33 days. There is no other option. Like Mirai's plan is, I'm going to put, I, I guess, what I can do is red heart you, then I will get you to admit all the crimes you've done, take full responsibility, and hopefully within 30 days, 33 days, the government can like fast track your execution. Because you have murdered a lot of people at this point. So I, I think that would be fair. If you are the one who says, I'm the one who did all of this, we can fast track it. And then before the red heart goes down, someone else can worry about killing you. And I won't have done it and i will at least get to feel it's just from some way like i'm not going to feel good about it but I'm like i'm dealing i'm not happy but this is the only acceptable outcome uh <laughs> i i mean you know Canada points out nobody's gonna believe any of this is this why Canada goes on his little um rampage about how he doesn't even really believe any of this because he's just like isn't it insane what we're doing <laughs> Well, I, like, I think I think you're, you're assuming God exists. Well, I think the I think the intent of that is um it is not so much that he doesn't believe what's going because like he gives he gives other possibilities of uh what it could be and his perspective is until I have a uh, reason to believe something I'm not going to just assume it's true and that's part of his this is why I'm better ing you know, mm -hmm. speech. Um, it, it, it's not so much that he doesn't believe, uh, you know, doesn't believe doesn't that be there is a God. It's that 
there are other possibilities. He doesn't believe I'm not gonna... him. Well, yeah, there's that. And oh, yeah. It, it, it's it, pure egotism at that point. The point that he's making is that I'm not going to make any assumptions. I'm going to act on what I can see. So it, I, I, I don't necessarily think that's so much of a... It's more of a cynic's point of view than a crazy person's point of view uh, in that case. Which is a thin but important distinction. Uh, th this is also um, important in the aspect of... This is the point where everyone realizes that He's just acting out of character. He's not being his normal self. Why has he not run by now? Like, I guess we'll take advantage of it because we don't really have another choice, but this is weird. Why is he not running? It's really weird because what happens is Mirai kind of initiates this by going like, how do I even know I'm fighting the... Because he's Mirai is just stalling for time to try and think of a plan. He's like, how do I even know I'm fighting the real Metapolaman? You could just be like another, like fake one and this whole thing could just not be real and he's like kind of just was like no this is definitely real guy i'm i'm fighting you 1v1 like we said he's just like still it's 99 percent true maybe but there's that one percent chance of doubt and he's just like oh fine okay i'll show you my face shows him his face and he's just like ah oh, that was the guy in the thing and i'm like ah you also saw his face so now you can see that he has a red arrow in him is true but not something our heroes catch on to well, yeah, they don't. Mirai does. Mirai just can't tell anyone. True. And because uh, Mirai's entire ploy with the whole we'll take turns approaching each other with the arrow fire off gambit was he wanted to get close enough that he could just run in and stab Metropolitan Man with the red arrow. Because, sure, you can parry the arrow in flight, but blades don't need reloading. And also, I guess if I throw my body at you, I have a better chance of stabbing you. That's lewd. Don't take that out of context. It's by it's by this point that Mirai tries to hit Metropolitan, but it, you know, the other red arrow is already in him. So uh, he goes... Uh, uh, he goes with a uh, backup plan. Mirai uses his wings to blind Metropolitan, and then uh, using the uh, you know flying with someone else's wings uh, trick, he uh, he binds their uh, arms together. Metropolitan tries to use his other free hand, but uh, Saki flies in and uh, is able to grab him. And now uh, with Red arrowing him into confessing, being completely off the table. There's one last option to end this permanently. Uh, we haven't mentioned this, but Cancer Dad crawled his way to a gun and has been waiting there with um. He, he picked of... up Sundowner's gun. Mikado yes. has been ready this entire time. He has been strapped and he is ready to clap. Uh, Mirai and Saki holding Kanada in place. Mukaido fires the gun, and this is the biggest part where I'm like, how do these wings work? Kanada activates his wings and uses this as, a, as an attempt to negotiate. It fails. And then, because he has his wings deployed, he feels every microsecond of the bullets penetrating his flesh. Yeah. Which, yes, I'm, I'm fine with the villain suffering, but... Um... <laughs> No, I, I really love this scene because that's him like actively trying 
trying to avoid death and like not being able to escape it. And he is at every single second looking for anything he could avoid up until the point he's still having to feel the bullets pass through him because he's trying to get away and can't. Like, yeah, that is so it's, cool. It's an extension of his hubris. It is really cool. It is really cool. I'll just say that. And and it decapitates him. Yeah, he 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 has well, turned into it, a thin red paste. Yeah, his head is intact, but his torso is just obliterated. And uh, his angel is just like, uh, why do I have to carry another human corpse, even though I'm a high-ranked angel? Yes, very much like manager-level energy of like, ew. The Damn. disdain on the angel's face as he's picking up Kanada's spear, and it's like, uh, I gotta do this? It's like, this is grunt work! <laughs> You're so right about that manager level energy. But um, we, there are some cool parts as he's dying that he's just screaming out to the two of them. Like, did I mention I have a sister? I'm just doing this all so I can be reunited with her. Wouldn't that be cool? We don't care. Um, I, Mirai's just like, buddy, I, I tried everything I could to save your life. I have resigned myself now that... Um, what would bring Mikaido the most joy before he passes is avenging, like, is putting you to justice. It doesn't bring me any joy, but bringing him joy is at least a net positive here. So uh, I am resigning myself to not choose. And that also goes back to something that I mentioned about, like, a part of the reason why Mirai's okay with this is because he also understands that Mikaido's happiness is killing... Uh, Metropolitan Man. Metropolitan Man's happiness is killing most of the population of humanity. I have to choose one. I'm gonna pick helping out Cancer Dad because he's not an asshole. <laughs> like, well, no, this is the thing I really love. It's because Mirai's position is kind of the trolley problem. You know, the trolley problem. Do you save one person at the sacrifice of many, or do you say, or do you save many people at the sacrifice of one? It's a trick question. The trick question is you stop the trolley from running anybody over. But in this situation, Mirai's goal is make the situation that makes everybody the most happy. In that scenario, the truest way he could stick to his ideals would be to kind of Truman Show Metropolitan Man, Canada into an alternate universe where he could just exist amongst beautiful things for eternity and couldn't hurt anybody as a result because he's separated from the rest of reality. But Mirai does not have that power because he's not God yet. So this is a kind of interesting exploration of the trolley problem because the point of the trolley problem is it's a trick question. You do Option three, which is you save everybody. Saving everybody is not viable here because of the extraneous circumstances that this manga has put you into. That's sort of the perspective I'm taking from it, is that there's basically two versions of the trolley problem. There's the version where you can stop the trolley, and then if you pick track one or track two, both of them are the wrong answer. And then there are some cases where you can't stop the trolley, and it really is a binary decision. And that is... That is ultimately what Mirai is being confronted with. He's being confronted with that second version of the trolley problem, which is significantly less rare. And people have been telling him so many of the problems he's been facing are version two of the trolley problem, but he's revealed the fact that it's really version one. Mm -hmm. 
the he acknowledges the reality that version two is a thing that happens in this moment. And that is such an important character because there is that element of sometimes you need to do what you need to do. You know, there are cases where a line must be crossed. I know that this is something that like, you know, like Batman will come up, but it's like, that's a different situation because really it's not Batman's job to like, he, he catches the people. It's not Batman's job, but like, these people are have have unique magical circumstances. No justice system, like Kanada even says it out loud, no justice system is going to touch me because this is all completely impossible to prove. There is no other solution. It has to be solved internally. So this is, you know, version two of the trolley problem. And Mirai is showing strength that, it, it, like, it's not a bending of his ideology. It's a bending of his ideology. It's not a breaking of his ideology because... It's a different situation and a really, and like an annoying character would be to be presented with the second version of the trolley problem and still try to treat it like it's the first version of the trolley problem. And the fact that he doesn't do that is, endears me to Mirai quite greatly in that moment. Because he's not happy about it. He tells Kanada, I'd have done anything else if you gave me the chance. I tried mm-hmm. so hard. I'm I'm currently not happy about it, but I'm not moving. The ultimate end result being Canada's death. And our heroes carry Mr. Mikado, Mikado's son, cancer dad, to the hospital. Where the doctors say that, look, this guy's got stage four terminal cancer. And also has spent, like, the last 72 hours in intense physical distress. We're not sure why. It's a miracle he's alive right now. Call his family, I, because there's nothing we can do. I I like the dig on privatized medicine at the beginning. Going, well, well technically, this uh, we're not 24 hours access. We're really going to have to go to a different hospital. And he's just like, and Mirai's just like, you know, no, just red-shotting him. <laughs> I love that. That was great. (laughs) No, no moral quandaries or hesitation there. We not only see the end of our main villain, but also uh, Makaido surrounded by uh, his family and friends. Surrounded by his family. His wife goes to put a cigarette in his mouth and he spits it out before he dies. I th- I th- here's the thing. I thought he died before she could get the cigarette in, and like the second it was just dropped because his his flat he flatlines right then. No, I I I think my interpretation is that he spat the cigarette out because we had that scene of like the flashback where um his wife begged him to survive as long as he could, and he was cynically talking about, look, I've got terminal cancer. What the does smoking do to me now? And she says, I want my children to know a father who survived as long as he could, and so. That spitting out the cigarette at the final moment is his final act of punctuating that promise. I'm staying alive as long as I can. I like that. Yeah, and and that makes the immediate moment afterward all the better, because the immediate moment after that is Mukado dies, his soul is taken by the angel. The red arrow in Mirai's heart dissolves because the one who shot it is dead and he looks upon Mukata's face it looks no different from how we've seen it before 
And he cries. And that proves that the red arrow had no effect on him. He loved this man as a father. Mm -hmm. And so seeing him die as a father affected him deeply. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. The The way that it was framed and sort of what I took away from the uh, cigarette moment is I desperately want to believe that he was spitting the cigarette out. And it is framed in such a way that, like, you know, the spirit doesn't get pulled away until the, after the cigarette's gone. He doesn't actually flatline until the cigarette is away from his mouth. Uh, the, the red arrow doesn't go away until after that. But at the same time, it's framed in a in, a, in an ambiguous way. And there is some level of... There's a realness to, I really want that to be what happened. That's what I believe. It's the more happy and optimistic way of looking at it. You know, there's that, there's that twinge of, uh, am I just, am I just, uh, believing this because it's <laughs> what I want? Am I being sappy? Yeah. And, you know, I, honestly, I do genuinely read it as that he was spitting it out. It's another case like with Saki's backstory where Platinum and twists the the metaphorical knife and does it really well because i mean the whole rest of our reading section is mirai grappling with that exact emotion you mm -hmm. know um i want to believe that the best outcome happened and i do genuinely think that's the best outcome but am i am i just genuinely believing that because i have to am i just fooling myself because it's the only way i can keep going it's not easy and you know, in, in my personal opinion, Platinum End is at its best when it's doing stuff like that, because it's very like, true to life. And like, that's, like, really hit Mirai hard. But, like, the other thing that, like, is secondary wave washing over him is him realizing that the only reason Kaneda stayed to fight him was because he had a, like, he didn't think about it that hard in the moment. He's just like, oh, no, I can't red arrow him because he already has a red arrow in him. But then he was thinking, like, wait, no, and, like, when he died... His stuff got returned to someone. So he was red arrowed that entire time. Was that why he fought me? How much of what he was doing was him? Or how much was that being affected by him? That wasn't a strategic choice he made. And like, it's a whole spiral for Mirai that we're like this entire time we've been building up that like, hey guys, the red arrow isn't mind control. It wasn't meant for a death game. It's like genuinely showing love to people. It has a side effect that you can kind of mind control people, but not really at all. But like this kind of set a wave back of like, well, no, Canada didn't love anyone but himself. So why did he do that? If that's what the like, does the Red Arrow, what can that do then? And he second guesses everything that's why he needed that confirmation of like i'm still sad that makaido died because he was doubting everything being real because he's like well if the red arrow can just make you feel in love can it also make you feel everything like am i no longer a person now that i haven't like it's it's deep and he like second guesses everything mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we we get a scene of uh saki expressing something that we had called out Saki liked him back, but was, you know, not emotionally equipped to say it out loud. And she says that, and Mirai just does not want to have this conversation. And he's not going to have this conversation until the Red Arrow wears off. Because... We have my favorite moment from Nisei, where Saki makes this deep, heartfelt confession, and Mirai's like, ah, you've just got the Red Arrow in you. It doesn't count when you say it like this. And Nisei just goes, that's your response? You jerk!
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's something along the lines of the realness, uh, uh, the real Saki wouldn't be so blunt as that. Like, buddy! <laughs> Which, like, there is also the factor of, uh, it's pretty obvious that she's actually, like, earnestly saying this because uh, the thing that I like about it is that Saki actually has a pretty clever way of proving that Yes, the red arrow is making me more bold, and I'm saying out loud things I probably wouldn't say otherwise, but this is still the real me with the real me opinions. I would have killed Kanda a lot sooner than you did. I think that <laughs> what Mikado did was a really great thing, and I'd have had him do it, and if uh, this situation comes up, I'd wish he was back to do it again. <laughs> I, I think that I think you gave that guy way too many extra chances. Again, the red arrow is there to tie the knot of the red thread of fate. It does not make it. Indeed, uh, because of uh, everything that Mirai is going through. Uh, and, you know, sort of the funny thing is we actually see from the other perspective uh, how Kanada got in this situation. We do get shown that, like, the reason why Kanada stayed was because, you know, the person he had been red arrowed in love with stroked his ego and convinced him that he could just stay until he won, that he didn't need to be so cautious. He was acting only slightly out of character, only specifically because he, you know, let someone else, you know, he, he lend an ear to uh, someone he wouldn't normally lend an ear to, as it were. Uh, we also we also get to meet uh, the, the kid in the Trump mask who uh, it had cut to him a couple of times uh, during the main battle because uh, he was the one who was broadcasting everything. Trump mask boy. I'm not 100% sure if Kanada knew he was getting broadcast. They, they're not clear about it. I think he must have been because they they have like a whole planning this scene. Like, cause, um, let's, let's just go into it. it. It reveals what happened with Kanada because there's a flashback to a few days ago when actually we had seen him talk to his friend where his friend's like, I wish all the ugly girl. Oh, we, oh, my favorite part during the speech is his ugly, is his friend hearing the, like, wait a second. I wish all the ugly girls were dead. That sounds like something I would say. Canada, did you just tell the entire world I said that? Oh no. <laughs> that sounds like something I would say. Wait a minute, that's Canada. Oh no. Like I was suspecting before. I know for a fact now. Uh Yes, he broke road clothes. You don't gossip on friends. <laughs> we uh, we cut back to that flashback we had, or I think that was actually happening in the moment when we saw it, but it's a flashback now of Canada and his friend walking through and having this conversation. And it's when Canada gets distracted by um, the girl shooting the bow. And like in the scene we saw earlier, that was portrayed as like, he was like, oh, he was talking about beauty and like, oh, hey, she is, like, actually pretty attractive. I can see why people would think that. And then you see him get distracted about, like, ah, could I shoot, like, and it's portrayed as if he's thinking, like, I could shoot, like, my arrow like that. But then we cut, and what has actually happened is that from a different viewpoint, you see out the window, the second he, like, felt that pang of emotion was because he got shot by the red arrow by that little kid. Mm -hmm. And the, yep. like, reaching his hand up inflexively to shoot was him, like, trying to defend himself and then stopping. But we don't get the... That's so cool that the scenes cut it like that. Yeah, it's really cool. And it throws the entire context of the fight into a new light because the kid that shot him was Trump Mask Kid. 
So everything Trump mask kid did feels a lot more fingers holding the puppet strings than it did before. It's so it feels so much more intentional. And that goes back into what I was saying about that character was so out of place the entire time because he was not what had been presented the entire time he was actually the puppet master. Mm-hmm. He was also out of place in uh, in the first section of our reading, too, because he shows up to the baseball game and then just dips. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all worried about this little kid. Oh, that's right. He was in the baseball game. Because he was stalking out the competition. It's 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 a really well done, really clever uh, bit of character setup and payoff. We get a, a, a domestic scene after that where uh, Saki, uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the red arrow doesn't mind control you, but it does influence your behavior. And uh, Saki is really into uh, getting uh, uh, getting Mirai to try out her curry. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable, which is really necessary for how heavy everything up to that point had been. And uh, I love. I love how Ravel's just like, like, um, how do you know he likes curry? And she's just like, who doesn't like curry? I'm like, there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those, true. Those, those are the unmentionables. Actually, that's how we're going to determine who lives and who dies. Yeah. The f- actual end of the reading is the revelation of Trump Mask Kid being the one who had Red Arrow Canada. And so, you know, had his entire moment in the Batcave. And so now we know that there is a villain behind the villain set up. And also the angels had uh, left for some nebulous reason, surely just to give the humans some privacy. Uh, but it's actually, oh, hey, we've reached the halfway point of this of this game with only half of the guy candidates left. Time for the usual halfway point meeting. Yeah. 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 Uh. We we got to this point, and I'm like, oh, well, all this talk about how this normally isn't a fight to the death. Um, you have a standard procedure for when half the candidates are dead? Yeah, it feels a bit hollow, don't it? I mean, in all fairness, one of the things they give every candidate is a, th- is a weapon that instant kills any human being. So it's not unheard of, <laughs> but there's um, kind of, I don't, kind I don't, of sus. Kind of sus. There is also probably a through line of like there is a propensity of humans for violence, especially when the goal is only one of you can have something. Mm, like that's true. I I just think Mirai is the one who's like, you made this a death game when you didn't have to be, and Kennedy was just like, well, no, I made it a death game because other people were going to make it a death game. I'm just being more upfront and in the open about it. Because yeah. Mirai, what Mirai is doing when he's back and not eating his um, not-girlfriend's curry because he's afraid she doesn't really love him um, is when he's not crying over uh, Makaido's armor uh, is mapping out. So there's at least six other candidates left. There are in at least four teams. I don't know who some of these people are. I don't know who some of these angels are. And I don't know who got, like, the crap ton of arrows that Canada has. They're really cute. I mean, they are really cute because then what they end up doing is having the whole, um, she tries to kiss him, then fights back against her red arrow programming and doesn't kiss him, and instead has a nice family meal when he wakes up two days later. Um, so there that is curry also... is cold as hell. <laughs> Specifically, after in his sleep, 
uh, Mirai said Mr. Mikado's name. Yeah, there there is a yeah. there is an aspect of killing the mood, but uh, it, does, it does owe to the idea that the Red Arrow programming uh, is not actually mind control because uh, that basically snaps her back to self control. And yeah, it just means your hormones are all out of whack. That's basically, what it does it creates a genuine feeling of love that fades after thirty days, and like, well, does that make that love fake? No, not really. <laughs> like, you can love things and then fall out of love and with that. Before they even were struck with the red arrow, they had some type of affection for Mr. Yeah. Mikado. Yeah. So I mean, totally. Yeah, and and this is this is what Mirai is having such a hard time processing, as we mentioned before, and that's actually also something uh, Nisei mentioned out loud and explained in detail. You can make the red arrow's effect permanent by making the person uh, you red arrow actually genuinely love you over the course of those 33 days, which requires yeah. you, you know, treating them well and creating a real, you know, mutual affection. I, I will defend Mirai in a lot of things. The fact that he blatantly does not listen to any of the angels is kind of annoying. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, to be fair, uh, from last time, I really particularly didn't uh, trust uh, Nisei in particular. There is also the aspect of... Um, I'm pretty sure it's a framing thing because she was a lot less creepy this time, but there is something to be said about Mirai has embraced killing. He's one step closer to happiness. <laughs> I think that was a yeah. goof up with framing as opposed to it actually being, but like, given how I felt about her last time, I couldn't help but notice that. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I could see them doing a heel turn with Nisei. I, I would not even be upset by and I think they've done enough background work that it would be genuinely, like, satisfying, but oh, yeah, yeah. also. Turns out she's actually secretly the angel of death and destruction. Just looks cute. <laughs> I'd buy it. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, dovetails us nicely into our discussion questions at the end of the reading. Fair characters. For me, so definitely to say, I, what can I say? She's cute. She has hilarious non sequiturs given the incredible uh, depth and drama of the situation. Perfect character in my regard. So. <laughs> so actually, uh, funnily enough, for me, the, the number one character might be a bit of a surprise. And maybe it won't be. Uh, I, I really liked Mirai in this section. You know, we've mentioned ways that he can be very annoying. But in all honesty... Even his most annoying traits, truth be told, were actually in service of the things I like about him as a protagonist. I like the way that he approached the trolley problem, so to say. He showed that he's not going to cross any line he absolutely doesn't have to, but that he's also capable of doing the right thing if there legitimately is only one option. I really like that about him. And even onto him being unwilling to like even discuss the idea of love with Saki as as she is now. Like to me, that comes from a that comes from a place of the idea that Kanada could love anyone even onto a red arrow. It, from Mirai's perspective, then it has to be mind control, which means nothing that someone under the red arrow says can mean anything, despite evidence to the contrary. That is a uh, character drama as far as I'm concerned, even if it is a flaw of his. I think it I think it's a good place to go for with his character with the story. So even even a lot of his annoying traits, I actually kind of um, appreciated in their own way. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Matt, how about you? 
Um, can I pick Kaneda just from the moment where he pushed his sister off the Brit off the oh. pedestal and then grabbed the corpse, uh, no, grabbed the still living girl and went, hmm, she'd be better as a corpse? Because that, that single, like, three pages was hilarious. That was my favorite three pages of all of Platinum End, to be fair. Matt, <laughs> the favorite character, the favorite character um, criteria is broad for this reason. <laughs> I think I have never laughed more at something we've read than this. <laughs> that being said, I'm pretty sure this is intended to be, like, extreme and absurd. I think the way that the paneling is done implies that you're supposed to laugh at this. Yeah. It, it is supposed I, to be super villainy. Yeah. It's extremely uh, so. My favorite character is Gravity because it facilitated that moment. But uh, if I was to pick a more serious pick, Makaido, um, I really liked in this thing. I think he really came to a close on his plot. This was all about getting his family back. And we skimmed over a lot of the fight. But, like, I loved his panels where he is, like, actively coughing up blood and going, like, I am dying. I have basically burned up the, like, I think I had, like, a month left to live on my last checkup. I have burned that up in two days. I am currently fighting to keep my family safe. I was trying to keep the world safe, but right now, if it's just two people, I'm fine with that. And this monster kidnapped them. I am not going out of this world until he goes with me. And I could really appreciate that. It, yeah. it was a good, powerful character moment for him. Indeed. Especially because there was the moment where during the whole uh, hyper speed, hyper light drifter moment in the uh, mirror room where... Uh, Makaido was about to like succumb to exhaustion and he had an entire flashback about why he quit smoking because he promised his wife that she wanted their unborn child to see a father who struggled to live to the end and he's like you know what I will mm -hmm. and that was strength enough to make him soldier on through that moment of weakness and actually carried him through the rest of the fight. So yeah, pretty based. And Jay, favorite character. <laughs> yeah. Favorite character for me. So this is going to be a twofold question. I apologize in advance, but I would have to say uh, Mukaido, just because for obvious reasons, he was very, very resolute. Um, and I really kind of emotionally understood in some odd way, you know, really bonded with him more resolutely emotionally better than Saki and better than Mirai. Mirai wanted me to like literally throw him against the wall. <laughs> um, but favorite character, I'll go with character design and concept um, has to be by weapon girl. Very entertaining. <laughs> a choice indeed, but a choice made firmly. <laughs> I can respect that. So plot predictions. Oh, the plot, 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 plot. Um, I'm going to I'm going to divest myself of this one because as I said at the top of the episode I have watched Jeff Thu's video essay which means I know how this ends. Ah. I'm just going to be like yeah, we'll see. I'm glad I skipped that video then. It's a very good video, but if you want full spoiler surprises, don't watch it. Okay. So is this like a Mirai Nikki situation? I don't know how to answer that. Yes or no? <laughs> I mean, I I'm mean just broadly. saying there are obviously differences, but what I see is somehow Saki 
and Mirai being the last two, and they have to decide which one's going to live and which one's going to die, and they're going to somehow, like, try to kill each other because they're trying to be super merciful and be like, we're in love forever, and that somehow restarts the game. With that context, everyone else plug your ears. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, I mean, there there is the aspect that Matt mentioned is that, you know, people have a tendency of when there's one thing that everyone wants, humans will naturally uh, trend toward violence to obtain the thing. With that said, though, especially considering it's supposed to be a bunch of downtrodden people, there is an aspect of at least to the degree of wacky that it has been up to this point. Um, Kanda has been driving a lot of the plot by sheer force of personality. So unless they turn the Trump mask kid into an even bigger Canada, then I don't honestly know where the story is going to go because uh, it's it's traditionally doubled down. So I I kind of feel like that is the only that's the only place it could go. I'd say logically, but logic doesn't factor into Platinum End very often. So. The only other thing I can think of is they've been like laying some groundwork for something weird being about the angels and how they might have more agency than seems to be what they're actually letting on. And the fact that we ended on the like, here is the secret council we only have when there is half the participants remaining. They're probably going to do something shady. Mm. And then that might be Trump mask because um, Trump mask was revealed that, that um, Hajime's uh Angel had told him, like, way more information than a candidate's supposed to have. So he might be using some knowledge he's not supposed to have to, like, step up the game into overdrive. Yeah. Because there, there's a reason he forced Metropolitan to fight to the death with their team. Like, he... Literally to the he death was of Guard. Yeah, because, like, if he cared about keeping him alive to, like, do what he does best and, like, take them out one by one. Like, Metropolitan could have retreated and very easily, like, done this again. But no, he's like, no, fight to the death, because if you die or they die, I get all your stuff. I get uh, at least one set of white arrows. Oh, also, I get all of your stuff in your Tony Stark cave. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. I mean, that holds up in court, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> there was I mean... literally no reason to get that verbal contract from him yeah i was anyway. i was so confused i'm like what what do you need this is, is there some kind of like computer that records your voice and therefore like any responsive like software would be like yes this was a verbal contract on this date so we will transfer ownership to this person i believe canada would do it yeah i believe it yeah probably like good. fingerprints and all that stuff's already been transferred over and all that but yeah i guess to summarize my my plot prediction is um some ancient Angel fuckery goes around and makes the rules of the game suddenly much more severe. All right, and that is something we would have to figure out next time, but would you read more to discover that? I think I would. I'm intrigued, not for the reasons I was last time, but it's still a kind of intrigued, so I guess that counts. Yeah, I think I'm going to second that one. And I mean, like, this is the second half of a single arc. You know, we could only, you know, we only read so much at a time. Uh, so we split an arc in half. But I, I don't think that it's totally unreasonable. You know, like, I think that we did do two good halves of a full arc. And the first arc has a lot of, like, really deep, really real emotional stuff that invests you in the characters. 
And then this section was nothing but the ham. And that sort of tells you that we're going to skew towards the ham, especially in, in climactic moments. I preferred Platinum End so much when it was being more earnest. But with that said, it's not like I don't enjoy the ham. So yeah, I'd continue reading. But I do kind of understand that this would really be more of a, a sort of a light, a passive read rather than something that I'm really invested in. Um, All right. Uh, Jay, how about you? I mean, I'm on the fence with this one, and I know I haven't been for a lot of our readings, but, I mean, they killed off one of the more eccentric, interesting characters, and I, and also the character who was, like, deeply emotional and who was kind of, I don't want to say the underdog, but just, like, really had the strongest impetus to try to make a better world, and now I'm just kind of like, blah. I'm, really, I'm not that invested in, in either of the protagonists right now. <laughs> Yeah. Not unfair. <laughs> and how about you, Matt? Well, as usual, I'm the antithesis of Jacob's taste, so I am strapped in on the ham roller coaster. <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest, uh, I'm hoping they double down with the villain. I want Trump Kid to have his backstory be he was also deeply in love with his two sisters and push them <gasps> both off of pedestals. Oh my gosh. Well, we'll have to wait till next time to see that. So thank you, everyone, once again, for tuning in to the Over Manga Cast. As always, you can find us on all of your social medias where we are at Over Manga Cast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can like, comment, and subscribe to uh, catch our episodes uh, two weeks after they normally go up on your podcatcher of choice. While you're at it, we appreciate reviews in any shape and form. Uh, you can do so on iTunes, Spotify, I think, has them, or just, you know, send us an email, uh, overmongcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you in any shape, form, style, way, possibility. And if you have any suggestions for series we might like to check out that you'd love to hear us talk about, feel free to send them along as well. Indeed, indeed. And make sure to tune in next week where we are going to be returning to an old favorite. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Uh, Kaiju number eight. Chapters 23 through 40. Excellent. Uh, can't wait. Especially after the recent announcement of the upcoming anime. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Read that if you want to keep up with the podcast. And we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.